I think most important as we begin to think about forming uh, these provider networks, really the three pillars, and it goes back to even the triple aim. I think we need to start with patient safety and then quality outcome while achieving uh, uh, those at the lowest cost possible. And I think that's where we start. Thanks for listening to the Value-Based Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. My name is Daniel Marino. And I'm Shelley Chopra. In each episode, we dive into disruptive success strategies for healthcare organizations, bringing to you insights from some of the industry's top experts and thought leaders. Shelley, in today's episode, very happy to have with us today, Dr. David Bordeaux. Dr. Bordeaux is an emergency medicine physician. He and I worked together some time ago um, when he was developing the Triad Hospital Group. He's currently now the Chief Clinical Reliability Officer for Amita Health here in Chicago. Very happy to have him today. Welcome, David. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you both. Welcome, David. So excited to have you on the show. Now let's get started. In today's episode, continuing on our conversation on how to align incentives and how to build various components of a successful operational structure that ensure sustainability and success under value-based care, we are going to focus on talking about how to create high-performing provider network. What does physician leadership look like and what are other operational leadership roles that must be considered as you put together your high-performing network? How do you align the incentives with provider leaderships and other components of your operational leadership? And then how do you measure success? We then dive into how to drive value. What does value really look like? And how to maximize the domestic network. Finally, talking about what are the key next steps to ensure that you have the right fabric of infrastructure to back up the new operational realities. Really excited about this topic. Turning it to you, Dan. Great, thanks, Shelley. So David, let's jump into it. You know, when you were leading the Triad Hospital Group and then also Chief Medical Officer of Resurrection and Holy Family, you did a lot of work with building up medical groups and really turning them into high-performing groups. Obviously, a lot of lessons learned, a um, lot around governance, a lot around aligning the right incentives. In your opinion, or based on your experience, what were some of those key attributes that were really important as you were starting to think about you know, pulling together the group, turning it into a high-performing group, and so on? Well, thank you. Um, I think it's interesting. When I first thought of starting my own hospitalist group, really, way before we even began thinking about physician networks, I was trying to tightly manage a group of patients. And this was way back in the two, early 2000s when we didn't have a hospitalist group at the community hospital where I served as the medical director of the emergency department. And I had a great vantage point to see patients entering into the healthcare system through that access point. And then so many times falling through the cracks, whether it was how they were admitted to doctors who weren't their own, whether they were transitioned to other levels of care, and then ultimately getting back into the community, what it ultimately then got back to their own doctors medications, discharges, uh, discharge planning, all of that. And so I think when I started my own hospitalist group, my goal was obviously to grow volume and to help the hospital grow. And that's probably number one, but I think most important as we begin to think about forming uh, these provider networks, 
really the three pillars, and it goes back to even the triple aim. I think we need to start with patient safety and then quality outcomes while achieving uh, uh, those at the lowest cost possible. And I think that's where we start. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, one of the things I can remember when you started the, the hospitalist group and even with some of the work, you know, you're doing right now with, with your current organization, making sure that you really define the measures of success is so critical. And it, it really is market dependent, but it, you know, it's so important to know that everybody is aligned around where you want to go with building the network. Um, what do you want to achieve? And in some cases it could be really the, you know, that value-based contract, other cases it may be reducing costs. You know, as you, as you mentioned, you know, the goal was when you formed your hospitalist group was to really think about how you manage patients more efficiently through the acute setting and into, into the ambulatory setting. So it seems to me that certainly aligned governance around what those shared goals are is critical and then aligned incentives as well. I think you're right. What's interesting, of course, when I was a hospitalist group, you know, founder, there was a financial aspect to that. And now I find myself, uh, I don't know, 15 years later as a hospital-based CMO working in a healthcare system. What's interesting now as I look at these provider networks is for the first time, the goals are finally aligned sort of on the same page where in the fee-for-service world as a hospital-based CMO, I try to talk to doctors about discharges. I'm literally taking money out of their pocket and I'm asking them to assume risk. I'm asking them to help the healthcare system make money, but it's not necessary, not necessarily aligned financially with how the physician is paid. And now as we look towards working with these provider networks, I think we finally can have the same conversation, which is uh, as you negotiate with payers and you're trying to manage lives in a group of patients, we're now both trying to achieve the same quality outcomes at the lowest cost and we can have that conversation together. And I think that's really the, the differentiating point where before I was really having that conversation, I really didn't have any, there was no incentive for the physician to help me achieve our goals. Well, and I'll tell you, that's such an important point because a lot of times when we work, start working with organizations, immediately they want to enter in that value-based contract. And, you know, and obviously that's a good place to start. But if you don't have the right physician incentives, the right compensation model, to support that value-based contract. And as an example, one of my clients right now still has for their employed medical group, you know, they're paying 90, 95% of their compensation based on RVU model. Well, that's really a fee for service structure, right? So as you're starting to that's align right. fee for value, you have to build in quality. You're always gonna pay a certain level based on fee for service, but you have to make sure that it is proportionally aligned with your contract and the incentives are aligning around patient safety, around quality, and so forth. That, that, that's you know important point that you brought up. Yeah, you, you said it perfectly because uh, at the base, there is, of course, a compensation RVU model that, that has to be in there, but the incentives have to support the behavior. And, and you just sort of have to admit that, that uh, the compensation and the incentives have to be aligned to drive that behavior that you want to achieve. Yeah, well, and, and I'll give you another example too, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. You know, there's so much focus right now on risk and being able to capture HCCs as a way of being able to risk adjust the population. And really, if, if providers aren't capturing their HCCs along with their coding, it really limits their ability to position around risk. But again, you have to provide the right incentives for 
physicians to do this and, and frankly, educating them as to why they need to do that. I think if you're able to give those tools, you have a, to the providers, you have a much better opportunity of achieving those, uh, that level of success. Yeah, I think you're right, because with those right tools, then it allows your network to go ahead and assume more risk. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, as long as you can be compensated fairly and you can sort of be judged accordingly by the risk you're assuming, and then that goes back to how well you document what you're doing, how well do the tools help uh, allow you to achieve the measures you need to have in place to take care of those high-risk patients, and then there's no reason why you couldn't be successful. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. I want to switch to another point that um, I think is really critical as you're thinking about a high-performing network, and that's how you create value around the network. And in my mind, you're creating value a couple of, of, of ways, one of which is maximizing what we call the domestic network, right? So utilizing the providers within the network, reducing leakage and so forth. Another is to really manage you know, the patients and manage the fer referrals internally. So you know, you're doing it in a way that is both efficient and tracking of the right quality outcomes for those patients within your domestic network. Any thoughts around that? Uh, yeah, that's uh, also so important to think about. And I think for any provider network to be successful, certainly there needs to be some market analytics. You need to know the patient population you serve. There does need to be risk analysis, but that idea of the narrow network is so important and how you manage referrals. And so I think it is important for the network to really take into consideration who they partner with, uh, what services they want to offer, what do they want to really keep in-house and allow for there not to be any leakage. And by that, I mean, you know, referrals that go outside of that network where you lose control over what we just said, safety, quality, and cost. And so it really is so prudent of the of that governance structure to look at who they partner with and decide, do we have the right partners to provide the services that our analysis shows us we need to have to take care of the lives that we're responsible for. And so keeping that narrow network in place for referrals to be managed is very important. And that begins with partnering with the right doctors. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, another point that resonated with me as you were talking is understanding what's occurring with that population so you can better manage the patients efficiently across your network. And I know, Shelly, you've done a lot of work with analytics and being able to provide the right level of tools to physicians, right level of, of insights. Um, you know, it's, it's critical to, for organizations to move from what we would call maybe retrospective or reactive analytics to more prospective analytics. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, Dan, as I was as hearing you both talk about it, it really is a cultural shift in many levels. Cultural shift on how we view data and really building in the data-driven decision-making. There is no shortage of the amount of investment organizations have already made in technology or they are continuing to make in technology, whether they, these are case management platforms or analytic platforms. EMRs, and data is often scattered in all of these systems. So one of the, the things I have found very useful in working with organizations is as you are defining what value looks like, as you are defining those operational goals, really translate that into top five to seven use cases 
In other words, what are the questions that must be answered by technology? And really use that, use that problem-backed approach to almost come up with that analytic footprint, the data footprint that the systems must produce. That really helps shift the focus from building workflows, processes, and experiences around technology platform to you are really aligning the outputs of the technology platform to the true experience and outcome you want to create. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I'll tell you, one of the things that I think is critical as an example of that is a lot of times when organizations are building their network, they think about just the physician community or maybe their providers, but through the use of the analytics, it helps you think about expanding that network across the care continuum, certainly linking in post-acute, linking in other you know, ancillary services and, and really even additional providers in the community. That becomes so critical to really think about where to start and then how do you best manage the cost and the performance outcomes around that, that extended provider network to really position you for a high performing network. Yeah, Dan, I'll jump in there because I think uh, what you said is so key because if we look into the future, I'm a hospital-based CMO, but we have to admit the care is going to continue to move further and further away from the hospital. And so that data needs to be in the fingertips of the right people at the right time to manage mm -hmm. those lives. So we talked about taking on risk. We talked about understanding the needs of the patient population that we're going to serve and know that that may not always be at the hospital or even in the doctor's hands at the doctor's office. We have to think beyond that now and start to think about how we're going to take care of patients in different environments outside of the traditional uh, places of care that we think about today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's it sort of, <clears throat> you know, forces me to think about then what's the infrastructure that is really needed to support high performing networks? Um, how do you really maximize that level of value really around improved quality and reduction of cost? And when, and I think about the infrastructure three areas really come to mind for me. I think one, you know, we touched on it around analytics. I think it's, it's critical to have robust analytics. And if you don't have a robust platform, at least understanding where to start is in being able to create some level of actionable insights. I think the second thing, and I'd love to get your opinion on this as well, David, care management. I think it's critical. I think providers can't succeed without having a strong care management um, support. And then the third area is really around revenue cycle. You need to be able to make sure you're collecting appropriately, billing uh, correct, correctly, coding correctly, and so forth. Any thoughts with those, those three areas of infrastructure? Yeah, I think uh, you've hit the three key ones. Although if we go back to the idea around the data, and Shelly, you said it right, data is scattered. Um, I think it's easy mm -hmm. to overload uh, the physicians and network with data and dashboards and metrics. And I think you said five to seven test cases. I think it is really critical to focus your data on the goals you want to achieve. And then that's really those analytics that drive that care. Um, but the second point might be the most important around care management. And I see it all the time because I have the unique vantage point of sitting as a CMO over an acute care hospital with quite a number of uh, nursing homes and SNFs in my area, as well as I oversee our long-term acute care hospital. So I see patients going through a number of different uh, points of care. And in addition, we have an inpatient rehab unit, the earth that's a part of our hospital. So I think I pretty much touch them all. And one thing I've learned 
is that the physician has no idea how much that true cost of care is through the whole episode. And so I might ask them to discharge a patient to uh, meet uh, the geometric mean length of stay, and I think we're succeeding, only to see that patient transition to uh, the LTAC, to a SNF, and then to home with home health. And quickly, if you look at the 90 days of care, you've completely outspent any revenue that you might have thought you were, you were uh, going to make off of the case. And so we've actually not really treated the patient as efficiently as we could and gotten the patient to the right place at the right time. And I think that's where care management comes in with their expertise, because if you ask the physician, along with everything else they're responsible for, to also refer patients to the right level at the right time and the right place, you'll fail. They really need a strong care management team around the, the physician and the whole clinical team to help provide that direction. And I think that's probably one of the most important aspects that's often overlooked. Yeah, what a great example. So in retrospect, when you were going through that in, in your mind, if you had strong care management support, um, how do you think it could have been done differently? Do you think that maybe you would have a direct, you know, nurse care manager, case manager provide more, you know, proactive engagement with the providers or maybe with the caregiver, you know, of that particular patient? How, how, do, you, how do you feel like the care manager would really have made a difference in that scenario? Well, in an ideal world, we know about these patients well before they have arrived into the acute care setting. When you have uh, such a short amount of time, you're trying to provide care, and if you play just the GMLOS game and length of stay game and try to move patients quickly through their acute stay, and that's your only goal, uh, I think that's where we fall into trouble. Patients get discharged to the wrong site, and then you find readmissions, uh, you find post-acute complications, and things quickly go awry. So uh, first and foremost, if care management begins with a healthy patient that's being provided care in the outpatient environment, that's the best of all worlds. And then when there's an acute episode, you know this patient, you know their needs, and you can already sort of predict where they might need to go after the acute event. Uh, that's a lot easier than on day three of a four or five day hospital stay, pushing patients to the next level of care and you've just met them for the first time, you don't know what their needs are, there's no risk assessment, uh, you don't understand the social determinants of health, you don't understand their home situation, all of that that can come into play. If it begins with healthy patients that are part of your network, that are part of uh, the, the physician's practice, you'll be a lot more successful down the road. Right now we face sort of the, the deadline of day three and day four and pushing patients then to, uh, like I said, into the earth, when maybe they shouldn't, because mm -hmm. then they still go to a nursing home and then to home, and they've gone through three or four episodes of care in different environments that probably weren't necessary if you could have tightly managed the case from well before the acute event. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and Shelly, maybe you can elaborate a, a, a second on that as well. You know, when, when you start to think about, you know, the patients that we're, we're managing, you know, around high risk, moderate, you know, the rising risk patients, you know, to be able to set up cohorts or even profile categories really allows for um, a lot of insightful, proactive uh, actions that could be taken around certain care models and so forth. And as David said, you know, if you're, if you know, at least have an idea of these types of patients that are coming in, you can start to manage them when they do present or as you're managing them through the continuum, as opposed to just reacting when they come through the front door. 
Absolutely. And I think I'll bring it back to the point you made, Dan. Uh, most of the analytics or data we leverage today is retrospective. Taking a look at once a patient is already in the system, how did we manage the care and retrospectively looking at, well, maybe we should have discharged the patient to this particular um, facility versus the other to save the cost of care. I think one of the value of the technology platforms that are out there uh, is that you can now real time predict the risk score of a patient. So if a patient is in there based on the patient clinical condition, that's where you leverage the clinical data in addition to the financial data to say, what is going to be the risk predictor score of a patient? So if based on the care that's being provided to the patient, it is predicted that the patient can be a high risk patient, you can modify to David's point your care plan to really avoid some of the episodes that might have happened if that factor you know, would not have been planned for there. So I think it again comes back to how do we want to really operationalize the data? How do we want to use the data not only to understand what we've done, but hopefully close to real time or as close to real time we can get, make decisions and modify our care plans in interest of the final goals we want to achieve, which is better care outcomes and reduce costs and better patient experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think using the, the right level of analytic platform to provide that, I think, is, is really key. So I, I think in summary, if I could just, just wrap up, this, this conversation was great. As organizations are really thinking about building these high-performing networks, in my mind, there's a, there's a couple of, of real key starting points. I think one is making sure you have aligned governance. And it has to be aligned around how the organization and how the providers are, are defining success, right? What are those success matrix? And then of course, making sure you have the right level of incentives. I think one of the things that you pointed out, David, is so critical. Compensation has to align with, um, with, the, with the value-based contracts. If they don't, then I think you know, you're, you're just not setting yourself up for, for success at all. I think the second point that, that we touched on, I think is really important. Maximizing the network, the use of the domestic network, um, making sure that as you're thinking about you know, everything from referral management to you know, the services that are provided, and then of course being proactive around those types of patients to, to maximize that network is, is just critical for success. And then of course, the third point is the infrastructure. And you need to have the right level of analytic platform. You need to make sure that as we're thinking about, you know, care management, it needs to be supported by revenue cycle, by the right staffing models and, and all, of those, all of those elements. David, any, any final comments and that, that come to mind? Well, I think that was a great summary. I think um, this is a great time also for physicians to really think about how they're providing care to their patients as we move away from the fee-for-service world. These networks are going to require physicians to really step up. And if we agree that safety, quality, and cost are the pillars that we build the network on and we create the right narrow network where we manage these patients and understand their risk and provide the resources around the team to deliver, then I don't think there's ever been a better time perhaps for physicians to step up as leaders and take the charge on this. And so yeah. uh, that would be my message to my colleagues to say, this is a great time for us to lead the way as we begin to change the, the whole landscape of how we provide care to our patients. 
Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it, it, it's a scary time, but it's also a very, very exciting time um, for physicians, certainly to be able to, to place a lot of their own input and information and, you know, be very proactive in terms of how they want to manage the care and, and frankly, get back to enjoying medicine again by looking at those levels of output and really focusing on that patient care. Well, listen, David, I, I really want to thank you for, for joining Shelly and I today. This was a, just a great discussion and uh, looking forward to having future conversations with you. David, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and thank you to our listeners for tuning into our value-based care podcast by Lumina Health Partners. We at Lumina Health Partners are your trusted partners and your journey to value-based care. To learn more about us, visit us on our website, www.luminahp.com. If you found value in today's conversation, which we hope you did, subscribe to us. Um, our podcast is available on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, iHeart, and Breakers. We look forward to hearing from you and welcome your thoughts, your comments, and your questions. Join us again on November 13th, where we're going to discuss how ACOs need to position themselves for financial success under the new Pathways to Success criteria. Looking forward to that discussion in another couple of weeks. Thanks again for listening to Value-Based Insights. We'll see you next time.